Now we're in our In Not Of series, which I hope is going to come up behind on the screen. There we go. And if you're a regular here, you'll know we've been going through this series. We've got a few more weeks to go, whether that will be in a public setting or online. We're yet to find out, but there we go. Um, and this morning, I'm going to uh, talk on the subject of it's good to be different. It's good to be different. And what I'd like to do is, I'm, I'm kind of banking on preaching a shorter word this morning. Uh, so many people quite kept quiet at that moment because they know this is an absolutely denial moment in my life. But uh, because I'd love to have some time at the end to pray um, for one another in this context of. Um, in and not of, and how it relates actually to the coronavirus thing that's going on all around us, because I think it's very significant. I just want to pray that this word actually speaks right into where we're at. And the whole series, in not of, only works when we are different. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And what impacts the world is how we are so different from the world around us and how we live different lives. We are called to be a contrast. We're not meant to be the same as followers of Jesus to the world in which we live. Being different is what actually counts. You see, if we're the same as everybody around us, we've got nothing to say, really. We're certainly not going to be making an impact on anyone's lives. But if we're different, then I believe it's going to make a massive impact upon people. And what I want to show you this morning, if I can, is it's essential that we are different and that being different is really, really good. And it's not just good for you, it's good for all the people that are around us. And hopefully this morning, you'll understand why that's such a good thing. I want to make three comments, which I've picked up definitely listening to the, the series of teaching that we've been doing, and I believe it's rooted in the Word of God. First of all, we are different because of the way that we think. There we go. We're different because of the way that we think. I come from a Christian tradition from my childhood onwards where we were taught to obey certain rules, and it was the rules that we obeyed that made us different from the world. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't mix with those who do. It's that kind of mentality that was around in my childhood. You don't wear this, you wear that. You don't listen to this music, you listen to that music. And somehow, and you certainly are not fashionable, you, you, and so you could spot a Christian a mile off. Now that's what made you different. The Bible doesn't teach that. Romans 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Actually, in the original Greek, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do you know that our world has a pattern? It molds people. One of the fascinating things about right now is that the panic buying James was mentioning, what's that about? It's just people molded into the pattern. Are you going? Oh, I'll go. How many did you get? I'll get more. It's like a strange kind of environment. 
Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What makes Christians different is the way we think. Just imagine that. The way you think changes the way you behave. And the way you behave changes your lifestyle. And it's your lifestyle that people see. It's not the music you listen to or the places you go to or the clothes you wear. It's your lifestyle that's on display. Secondly, we are different because of what we believe. And if you've been around in this series for the last six, seven weeks, you'll know that what's being taught is what we believe. And it's what we believe that makes us so different. We use this phrase, we have a biblical worldview. Everybody has a worldview. Humanists, atheists, people have worldviews. If you're a Christian, you have a biblical worldview, a worldview that's built on what the Bible teaches. We live according to God's word. So the whole teaching we've been having recently on sexuality is very different from the culture that you and I live in. So if you believe something from the cult, different from the culture that you live in, guess what? You're going to be different. But it's not only what you believe, it's what that belief does in terms of how you live your daily lives. What we believe must turn into how we live. I think one of the slight dangers of this series so far is that we can be nodding a lot and agreeing a lot uh, and cerebrally kind of intellectually agreeing with what has been said, thinking that's what makes us different. If you believe something, it's meant to change the way that you live. <clears throat> that's what's going to make the difference. And the third reason that we are different, or why it's good to be different, is we're different because we no longer live for ourselves. Philippians 1.21, Paul says, For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. With all this talk of death going on at the moment, and I'm not being flippant about this, Christians should be facing conversations with people without fear. Because to die is gain. We're the only people on the planet that believe that when you die, you gain something rather than lose it. Yeah. And Paul's going, well, <clears throat> if to die is gain, I'd much rather die then, because I'm going to gain. But I... I'm going to hang around here for a bit longer, so why? What, 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 would, what shall I do for me to live is Christ. I no longer live for myself, but I live for him who gave his life for me. And if we belong to Jesus and we're followers of Jesus, guess what the result's going to be? We're going to stand out from the crowd. We're even going to be rejected by people who are around us but it's a good thing. It's a good to be different. It's good to be different because of the way you think and because of the things you believe and because you are a follower of Jesus, <clears throat> all of which will result in living different lives. Living differently <coughs> excuse me, is good because you're meant to. Living differently means you have a fantastic impact upon those who are around you. You have the potential to change lives. And living differently glorifies God. See, I think some of us 
if we're really honest, we view living differently as quite negative. We don't want to stand out from the crowd. We want to be the same. We want to blend in. We're a bit afraid of the consequences. I'd rather be popular with everybody than count the cost of what it might be to be a follower of Jesus. To stand out is embarrassing. It makes me look weird and makes me feel weird. I want you to know that every time you think like that, you have the potential to shortchange people around you from seeing Jesus and coming to know what it means to live life to the full in the world in which we live. It's a gospel issue. We're called to proclaim the gospel, but we're called to also demonstrate the gospel. And one of the ways we demonstrate the gospel is by being followers of Jesus, which means that we're different, which means people are going to start asking questions about why we're different. He has the potential for hundreds of people to come to know Jesus, whereas if we're the same as everybody else, no one's going to notice. Let's look at a few scriptures together. Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus is talking about, how do you know who's the real deal? And there are people who are pretending to be real, and they're not real, and they're false. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, Jesus says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? You try saying that quickly. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them... By their fruits. And what Jesus is trying to say here is this that if you want to know who really are my followers, it's not just the things they say, it's not their ability to quote the Old Testament, it is that there is a change in the very nature of their being that produces fruit. How do you know what's the real? How do you know that this person's real and that person's real? It's not how many signs and wonders they can perform, <clears throat> or how eloquently they pray, or can explain truth. It's their character. It's the character of the person. It's the way that they live. You can't make up character. <clears throat> you can't make yourself live in a certain kind of way. So, folks, withdrawing out of the world means that people will not see the fruit. Being in the world gives the opportunity for people to see character and see fruit in your life and mine. If we live in a Christian bubble, if we live in a Christian community only, then no one's going to see the fruit. We can all look at one another's fruit, but that's not what the point is. The point is that they will know you by their fruit is for people who don't yet know Jesus. And so being different and living differently is good news for people who don't know Jesus. Do you understand? I'm I'm really wanting to get this place this morning where we, we come to the end thinking we've really got to be different. Not because it just makes us feel good, but because it's an evangelistic thing. It's an opportunity. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, so that those who are in the world can see Jesus through the fruit that's in our lives, by the way we live. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Well-known words. 
Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So in Middle Eastern times here in the New Testament, you would have meat, for example, and uh, salt was very important. You didn't have refrigerators in those days. And so salt was really important. Salt had to be effective. It had to be the very thing that it was. And that little, I read a commentator once said that if the salt was rubbish, literally women would throw it out of the window. You have to be careful when you're walking by that you didn't get hit by a whole load of salt. That's what it says, isn't it? It says how you might as well be thrown out. It's rubbish. It's just not going to do anything. So what does salt do? Two things. First of all, salt preserve. We're we're looking now at this whole thing about the the goodness of being in the world but not of it by being different. Have you got that? What difference does, does salt make? The first thing is that it preserves. So if you had meat, the meat would have gone off and so you rubbed salt into the meat to preserve it, to keep it. It's a preservative. It stops things from going rotten. Believe it or not, Jesus says, you, the church, my followers, are the preservers of society. You are stopping the rot. Just by being a follower of Jesus, before you've said anyone or witnessed to anybody, you are the salt of the earth. It's a completely different way to see the way you live in your street. You are in your street preserving your street. Even though no one else knows about it because you are the salt of the street. You have the ability as Christians, as a family or as a single person, to make a massive impact upon people just because you live there. You're stopping the rot. Some of you, you're in the workplace when when you're allowed to go to work. You're in the workplace and you're sitting in your office and you are the salt You are the preservation. You're stopping everything going rotten. Next time you're at work or at school or uni, whatever, you should just sit there for a moment and look around and you should say to yourself, you think this thing is really bad. If you know how bad it would be if I I wasn't here, you'd be amazed. Because I'm actually here under the sovereignty of God making a difference because I'm actually stopping the rot. That's why we need to be in the workplace. That's why we need to be in the world in which we live. The second thing that salt does is it adds flavor. <laughs> it's not only stopping the rot, but it actually is a contrast. It actually adds flavor. Hands up, those of you who like fish and chips. Put your hands up. Come on. It's almost 100%. <clears throat> How many of you like salt on your fish and chips? Yes. How boring is fish and chips without salt? Maybe if you'd lived the whole of your life never putting salt on fish and chips, you wouldn't notice a difference. But for those of us who have, we can't have fish and chips without salt. It doesn't feel the same. It adds flavor. It makes the contrast. It makes a difference. So Jesus says this in this passage. 
If you're no longer salty, it's useless. It might as well be thrown away. There's no point. We need to stay salty. Christians need to be different. Do you understand that? It's because we're different that we make such an impact. We are not only preserving the rot, we're actually bringing flavour. I love that. I love the idea that as a Christian community, <clears throat> we're actually bringing a contrast and flavour to the world which we live in. And that's not by becoming weird or becoming otherworldly or super spiritual or intense. It's about being yourself in Jesus, being down to earth, going through life like everybody else, being able to be somebody who's approachable and wise and genuine and attractive and magnetic and making mistakes. Jesus himself is our model of what it means to come and stop the rot and bring the contrast. Well, how do I stay salty? You already know the answer to that question. Think differently. Believe differently. Follow someone who's radically different and not live for yourself. I guarantee that you will live different lives. Matthew chapter 5 Verse 14, just bear with me, okay? We've not got long to go. You are the light of the world, says Jesus. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others <clears throat> so that they may see your good works and give, you, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said you're the salt of the earth, okay? Contrast, different, makes a massive difference. Jesus then says you are the light of the world. You're in the world to be seen and shine a light to those around that don't know Jesus. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. What does light do? Light exposes darkness for what it is. It's a bit of a longish passage, but I'd love to just read this to you. Ephesians chapter 5 and let me read from verse 7. And we're, we're getting close now to this thing about the contrast that we can make in society when something like coronavirus actually hits all the people around us at the same time. So look at these words. Ephesians 5, 7. Therefore, do not be, be partake, partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Look at this phrase. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of, the, of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's a really interesting phrase. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. <clears throat> but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because, of the, days, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I find these phrases really, really, passages of scripture really, really come to life. 
You see, we're in the world to shine Jesus, the light of the world, into people's lives. And I think this, that a lot of people who live in darkness don't know that they're living in darkness until someone with a contrast that's different comes and shines a light. So there's loads of people that are just, everyone's in darkness. And then a Christian comes in, and what is invisible becomes visible. It's like people who are in darkness go, whoa, that's different. Light is shining into the darkness, which is why we must be in this world. Verse 15, let's look at it. It goes on to say, no one puts a light under a basket. That's being out of the world. It's the opposite to what Jesus said. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're in the light of the world and you're, you're keeping it hidden, it's like you're outside, but we're not, we're in. And, and you don't put a light under a basket, you let it be seen, it shines for all. It points the way, it shows people where to go. It untangles confusion around us. You're the light of the world. You've actually got the potential to expose darkness because of who you are and the way you live. Not in a condescending, holier-than-thou, judgmental kind of way, but just because you're simply following Jesus. People get convicted sometimes when they're around Christians before we've even said anything. Verse 16, I find this fascinating, Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let them see your good works. Part of being sought and light in the world, part of being a contrast is doing good. Deeds of kindness. There's a verse in the Bible that says this, Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were sick. We always get to the healing always sick business and we forget that little phrase, he went around doing good. I have no idea what that was. But it says in the Bible, the common people, every people, they welcomed him gladly. He was kind, compassionate, loving, caring. We did the teaching on this last year. The individual, one-on-one, always got time. He was somebody who went around doing good. Coronavirus says this to me. This is an amazing opportunity. For every Christian in this nation to be in the world and to not be of it. To be in the world, to shine light, to be sought, to be different. What what an amazing opportunity, even to do good. James was hinting about this earlier. Finding ways in the midst of it all. We don't escape the plague. We're in the midst of it but we're in the midst of it with amazing opportunities. You well know people are so full of anxiety. They don't need a lecture. They need to find people who've got peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. What a wonderful opportunity to be full of peace. You know as well as I do that level of fear around us is out of all proportion and is so extreme. I totally understand why people are like that. But you are full of hope. The Bible says this, perfect love casts out fear. 
<laughs> so the Christians have got peace and the Christians have got hope and they've got perfect love. <clears throat> and people all around us are full of despair. They were always full of despair before this thing hit. Two lots ago, it was Brexit. Does anyone remember Brexit? <clears throat> Following on from that, it's climate change. It seems to kind of taken a bit of a back seat right now. But people are really full of fear about that. It's not that these things are not real, it's the reaction to them that's the issue. And fear is terrible, it's crippling. And now it's this. And in despair, you and I could be people of comfort. And in isolation, we can express community. This is a gospel opportunity. I just think you've got loads of people around you that are absolutely have to, have to say this is a very fragile, vulnerable world in which we live. But you seem to have hope beyond this. You seem to have a meaning in life. You seem to have more to give. That's why this series we're doing is so timely that we're in the world. And we're not of the world because we can save the world by showing them a better way. People are watching you. Did you know that? People watch us. We should get even closer to them so they can see even clearer the lives that we live. With all our imperfections, by the way, and with all our weaknesses, and yes, some of our fear as well. If we're so kind of otherworldly, they won't get it. Yeah, we understand that. It's really worrying, isn't it? But do you know what? And then you start to have a conversation and start to talk to them about the Lord Jesus. People need to see our lives, our marriages, how it is to be single, our parenting, our relationships with one another, how we order our finances, how we don't panic, how in a crisis, which the whole nation's in at the moment, we respond with love and kindness and with hope. How they need to see the fruit of the Spirit, our attitude and even our good works. And Jesus is the model of this for all of us. Hallelujah. John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. I love the fact that Jesus didn't just write some things in the sky. Do you want to know what in and not of is? Is Jesus comes into the world. And he actually comes to deal with a greater virus than coronavirus. He comes to, to deal with something far more deadly, sin, which is, which is in the whole of the human race. And without taking this analogy too far, the amazing thing is this, that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he became the virus so that you and I will be set free and be no longer contaminated. Isn't that amazing? He took the risk. You think, well, Christians are getting worried. Should we really get involved? Jesus came. I love the message version of John 1. The word was flesh, and he moved into the neighborhood. I just love it. It's just so powerful. Jesus is coming to the neighborhood, and that's now you and me. His hands, his feet. Jesus living in us. Think people, Jesus' words that he spoke were really wonderful. 
Um, but what was even more wonderful was the way he lived. You know, the people in that, those days, they had religious people, had rabbis, and they were used to listening to them hear something. But they never really took it seriously because the people who said the things never lived it anyway. Suddenly there comes Jesus who says, and he never ever says a thing that he doesn't live. <laughs> this is radical. This is so attractive and so magnetic. What a contrast he was to those who've gone before. What a contrast we should be. And I do think we're living in an age where people are tired of words, empty rhetoric, broken promises. They need to see people, that don't just speak words, but live it out in genuine ways. We're not perfect, but we will display character and not gift. We will live lives, not just our words. This is just a bit weird, but... 1 Peter 3, verse 1, it's kind of, it sort of looks out of context, but it isn't. It says this, likewise, wives be subject to your husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So here you are, you're a woman, and you're married to a guy who's not a Christian. How do you win him? You don't just win him by lots of words. You win him by the way that you live. This verse really came clear to me a few years ago. I was standing at the back of a meeting, not here but somewhere else, chatting to a guy, and he's a really kind of nice, kind of manly man kind of guy. I said, how did you become a Christian? He said, well, there's a story. I said, well, they usually are stories. <laughs> he said, my wife became a Christian about 15 years ago, and it was just awful. Why was it awful? He said, well, because she just witnessed to me morning, afternoon, and night. She forever cajoled me to come to meetings, which made me want to come to meetings even less. She kept speaking, speaking, speaking. She left tracts under my pillow at night to read. I'd find books around the room with my name on them. Try this, you know, just to do... And some guys in the church who were Christians said to her, stop it. Just stop it. We'll befriend your husband. And so they befriended the man, took him down the pub, did sport with him, blah, blah, blah. He began to realize that Christian men were proper men. And through their witness, ended up on an alpha course and got wonderfully born again and saved. And for the two years leading up to this, his wife never left a, left, a, left a tract anywhere or witnessed to him, etc. Just let it go. And he said, the thing was that while these guys were loving me for who I was, my wife started loving me for who I was as well, without saying a single word. He said, and at my baptism, I told everybody the transformation in my wife had led me to this place of conversion. which was wonderful. And he actually said, beforehand, it was like going to bed with Billy Graham. That's what it was like. <laughs> Just constant, constant witness. We will win people by what we, not by what we say necessarily, but the way that we live. I've got time for one more scripture and then we're done. 2 Corinthians and chapter 4. <clears throat> I was going to go for a couple of others, but we're going to run out of time. So We'll finish with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Well-known verses, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
For we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. By us living alongside people who live normal everyday life and by us living through coronavirus and all that that might mean in the next few months and identifying and living in the midst of it all but living in a way where we're in it but not of it is going to mean an amazing potential impact upon people's lives. The anxiety, the despair, the anger, the blaming of everybody and everything and being overwhelmed and being lonely. Do you know, when Jesus talks about the last days, it is amazing to go revisit those verses. There's one verse in Luke chapter 25, which is, uh, chapter 21, where Jesus says uh, that men will be fainting with fear for what is coming upon the world. It's like, it's like you just heard that on the news. And we are to become a people increasingly who have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay are vulnerable. They're not very attractive. But through the jar of clay, there's treasure in your life. Jesus Christ has come to live within you. And people will see the treasure in your jar of clay when, verse 8, we're afflicted in every way. But not crushed, perplexed, we don't understand what's going on, but we're not in despair, persecuted, but we're never forsaken because Jesus said, I'll be with you always, struck down but never destroyed because we always have hope in Jesus and in the gospel. Amen.